Here we are at episode number 73, and we're in quarantine, my friends. Um, yes, it is April 20th as I record this, and today we're going to talk about where we are in this space in between, and in a way of looking at that through um, the eyes of the Father, and I'm calling this episode in his absence, I am present. So if you're intrigued, just hold on a moment because we have a couple of things happening here this week that I'm really excited to offer for you all. Uh, so if you're listening to this, no matter where you are in the world, you get to come and participate because all of these happenings are happening virtually this week since we're all home. Uh, so I'm offering my movement practice, Movement 109, on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So if you're not in Eastern Standard Time, it should work for you, hopefully, unless you're like on the other side of the world, like in Bali. Um, it might be a little late for your practice, but yeah, I would love to have you. So that's my movement 109. We do a lot of organic movement on the floor and then we evolve into sometimes asana and the yoga practice, right? Or sometimes we evolve into dance and then we end with a short little meditation and check-in. And what I'm really excited about is this Sunday, I will be collaborating yet again with Erica Forcell, who has been on here a couple of times. She was on just last week with Sam and Jen. Uh, but we spoke a couple of months ago, maybe almost a year ago now, about move into breath. And so this is my offering of Movement 109 and her offering of breath work. So we, we, we blend the two together. And it's a really special experience in person, and I'm really ex excited to offer it online uh, as this live virtual event. And I have to say, I've been really excited to to offer Movement 109 on you know in our Zoom kind of world. Uh, I wasn't I wasn't at first though. I was really kind of skeptical because I didn't know how the music was going to be played, and I didn't know how what the energy would be like to be like in my own personal space and only seeing people virtually, you know, on little tiny computer screens. But I have to say it has been such a joy to see um, not only my students there, right? People that I know or maybe not even know, right? But new bodies, yeah, experiencing movement in a whole new way with such freedom and grace but then also in the safety of their own home. And that might also include kitty cats and dogs and kids and spouses or significant others or other family members. And that's been so much fun to kind of look in the screen and see, you know, uh, like for instance, Amy, who has a little daughter and her daughter just like comes in and dances around with her and, and then flutters away. And it's just been so so beautiful to see everybody getting to be a part of it, uh, not just in that little tiny container that we do in the live events, but it's really expanding out into all of our homes. So that's been really special. So that's happening again. Movement 109 happens on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And then Move Into Breath, Movement and Breath Work is happening this Sunday as a special event at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time as well. So I hope you can be there. I would love, love, love to experience it with you 
meet you or see you. Uh, and that's all we have right now here in the land of quarantine, of the lockdown. So yeah, let's move into what we're talking about today. So I thought that we would take a pause from the interviews because the the six-week series that I'm hosting, which is part of the Movement Practices, uh, Movement 109, Who Are You Becoming? And I've tweaked it to call it, Who Are We Becoming in this space in between, this space in between being the quarantine? Because we have um, had to put a big pause button on what life was, and we're not quite sure what life will look like on the other side of all this. So we are really literally in the space in between. And I thought to take a little pause from, you know, the interview we did with uh, Sam and Jen and Erica last week, and I have a couple of great interviews coming up next in the next couple of weeks, but I wanted to revisit uh, the, the six-week series because I think that what I have to share with you all is very relevant to where we're all today, yeah, and maybe in a perspective that you haven't really looked at yet. So, and I'm going to do that by sharing my story, a little bit more of my story. So, in Movement 109, I work with the Archetype Cards by Kim Kranz. We pull, what we do on Mondays is we set intention for the week by, by using the cards and also going through the subtle body. And so this week we're in the subtle body in the heart chakra. And this is our space of compassion and love and forgiveness for ourselves and for others. Uh, and the card that I pulled is the father. And so let me share with you what the father has to say here. The father, the great father, the masculine, the protector. Alongside the mother, the father resides in the central axis of the archetypal family. The father embodies both light and dark aspects of the masculine. Thus, he is infinitely dynamic and complex. His energy is strong and regal embodying such virtues as honesty, wisdom, and loyalty. Yet ironically and simultaneously, the father is often absent, literally or emotionally. Through absence or action, the father eventually reveals that he is neither a king nor a god, but a human being with many flaws and wounds. He is both the guardian and one who leaves us to the wolves. Here, yet gone the champion, and the failure. The father can never resolve or escape this duality. It is inherent in the archetype itself. Witnessing the father's limitations allows the child to grow beyond the family and into the worlds. And there's a little side note here that says that see the father as a pattern, not as personal. But I am going to take it a little personal today, and hopefully it can help you see maybe a bigger picture in your world as the pattern. Uh, so I, I, as I said before, I pull these cards weekly for our group, but I always often sit in my own meditation and pull a card for myself. And so this card in particular comes up for me a good amount, <laughs> a good amount. And so when I pulled it for the group, I sort of cringed because I thought, oh gosh, here we go again. Um, and I ha it's hard to not take it personal. But I'll share why is, 
is because my father, I feel the relationship of my father really truly embodies this. And it's funny, every time I read it, something else stands out to me. And so just the virtues, they say, is honesty, wisdom, loyalty. And I'm going to kind of take you through um, the story of my relationship with my dad in a moment. But just seeing those three words and also knowing how absent he was. Yeah, he truly embodied both. Yeah, he was honest uh, to a fault. Like he would tell me when I was little that there was no Santa Claus, that Santa Claus was my mom because he believed that he didn't want me to um, get my hopes up or be hurt, you know, later on in life, finding out that we had, you know, he had lied to me, which was ironic because he lied about other things later on in life. But he he did his best when he was in the best um, state of being. He was honest, (laughs) honest and Uh, And he was wise, too. He was definitely wise beyond his years. I definitely think that he saw saw other worlds, other lives. Uh, And he he didn't tell you. He just could feel it. Just the way that he offered advice. And I often think about when I experience life here now, now that he's passed on, and how he had said certain things and how it was really, truly planting seeds for where I am right now. He was wise beyond his years in that way. And he was loyal. He was so loyal to his friends, to me, to a point that, you know, he would threaten (laughs) other people's lives to protect you. Yeah. So he was truly honest, wise, and loyal. But before I go further, I do kind of want to back up and share a little bit about my relationship with my dad so you have a little bit more of perspective. And then I'll share more of the lessons that that I learned from his both his absence and his presence. So my parents separated when I was seven, and I lived with my father from that period of seven to about 14, almost 15. And... He, at that time, we did not know because they didn't have this diagnosis back then in the early 80s, but he suffered from severe PTSD, being um, a veteran, two, two tours to Vietnam. So that came with very intense symptoms, yeah. Uh, he was considered 100% mentally disabled when he finally um, was treated at the VA Uh, many years later. And so some of the symptoms were rage, anger, violence, flashbacks, hard time sleeping, depression, substance abuse, anxiety, um, paranoia, uh, loneliness, and many other things. But a lot of it created my world to feel unsafe and unpredictable which created my own trauma later in life, right? I, I, I suffered um, post-traumatic stress later in life because of the trauma of, of living with him. And so at 14, I, it was, got so horrible that, um, you know, he had a heart attack a couple of years prior and then his drug use got really bad. He was doing pretty much everything. Um, 
and in and out of rehab. And I decided that I couldn't do it anymore. So I decided to leave and live with my grandmother in Texas for for a little bit of time. And then I came back to Maryland, where I grew up, and lived with my mom until I graduated high school. And so during that time I was in Texas, my father completely disappeared. And I had a little bit of contact with him, just very tiny like phone calls once or twice. And the last one was when I was in college and he called having a relapse and asking me for money. Me, a college student, a poor dancing (laughs) dancer, (laughs) college student asking me, his daughter, for money. And then I didn't hear from him again until I was about 32. And he reached out to me then and said he was rehabilitated. He was had been in recovery for about 11 years and he wanted to see me again. And so we had about four years of rehabilitating our own relationship and to a certain extent. Yeah, he was still um, he had more tools to deal with his symptoms, but he was still, you know, kind of dealing with things, um, anxiety, primarily and depression at times. Um, but he was a lot better. Yeah, he was a lot better. And he ended up, we, we did get to be a little bit closer during that time, but then he ended up passing away four years later because of a heart attack. And so seven, this past seven years, it's been a lot of unpacking. And if you listened to um, my story before on the podcast, you've heard a lot of the work that I've done because of his because of his death. Yeah. So those are sort of the facts, <laughs> right? And now I'd like to just kind of repaint the picture with the lessons that I, I was able to um, gain from this experience in both, again, his presence and his absence. So in his presence, I felt loved. I felt so extremely loved. I felt when he was in his best state of being, he loved me unconditionally. He showed me that through hugs and kisses and um, always telling me, you know, building my confidence, telling me that I could do whatever I wanted to do in life. Um, you know, he spoiled me with gifts and uh, yeah, he's just he was just a really beautiful person. And very charming. I mean, not just with me, but anybody who knew him, they knew that he was a really special person. So I always felt um, honored that he loved me the way that he loved me, that he loved me so his little girl so much. I was definitely a daddy's girl. But at the same time, I also experienced loneliness in his presence because he had this disease that took him away from that, that better state of being. Yeah, he had moments of violence, not usually at me, but I I witnessed it. Um, he was got angry at me a lot. He disappeared a lot, so I felt very abandoned. So he also left um, during that time of being, you know, the playing the role of my father. So there were many times that I felt alone, that I felt very lonely, even in his presence. So I kind of got ping ponged ping-ponged back and forth between this feeling loved and feeling lonely. 
in his presence, I also felt like I had the ability to do whatever I wanted to do. Um, <laughs> most nights, I usually did a dance performance after after dinner. Yeah, the way that our house was set up, there was like the perfect little proscenium stage. <laughs> uh, so I would I would perform and. I would get a little annoyed because he would talk through the performance, so I had to teach my father the etiquette of being a good audience member. (laughs) But the things that he was saying while I was dancing was how he loved me, how beautiful I was, and how graceful I was, and that I could do anything that I wanted to do in life. And he followed it up by, if any other motherfuckers tell you that you can't, I will come and deal with them, right? So I always felt that he had my back. Like I said, he was very loyal. <laughs> um, but he, he instilled that confidence in me. There weren't, there weren't a lot of times in my childhood that I didn't feel like I, could, I wasn't capable of something. Um, you know, I was, I was very, I was an honor student. I got good grades. I, uh, you know, I was a dancer, so I was always in dance class and performing and shows and companies and musicals, and I was on the Palm Squad, and I was, you know, the captain of the Palm Squad, Palm Squad, and uh, the mu- lead in musicals. So I, I was, and I b- truly believed that that was because I had this confidence that I believed I could do it, so I did it, and that was really instilled because of him. And other family members too, but truly um, because he would always say when I was dancing that I could do whatever I wanted to. And he also provided me um, this lesson instilled in me that I could create a world that was safe and my own. So when there were times where he was unsafe and I couldn't be around him, I could go and create my own safe world. I would close the door into my bedroom or go downstairs in the basement and hide in a way and just dance. And I created this little safe sanctuary for myself. And that came from a place of a bit of um, fear and anxiety of what was outside of the doors, but it also empowered me that I had the choice. I could create this world within. And I had this choice because of that to participate or not. So when things were starting to get bad, I had the choice to go into my room or to come out of the situation. Or if I stayed in the situation, I could I could have the choice in how I wanted to participate. And for the most part, he often respected my my boundaries of the of the door, right? There were a couple of times I'm sure I, I pissed him off. <laughs> And he knocked very loudly, yeah, but he he never he never crossed that boundary. So he he gave me this world where I could create my own world of safety. That was my own. And then he also gave me the gift of trusting my own voice. So even in those really hard times where I saw as I was getting older and I saw the signs that things were about to shift, the trembling of the earth underneath us, a flashback was on the way or a trigger, uh, some other sort of trigger. I knew, I knew there, I could hear my own voice telling me to, to change, right? To get out of the situation or um, maybe soothe him in some way. Um, to help him. 
So they gave me the power to trust my own voice. When I felt in future situations, if I didn't feel safe, I knew that that was true and that I could make that choice to to leave. And so those are just some of the gifts that I received in his presence. And in his absence, I still felt loved. Even during those years where, yes, I felt alone because I did also experience loneliness. Yeah, I felt abandoned. I felt, you know, questioning why, why, why did he decide to leave? Why didn't he get better? Right. Putting it on me and to a certain extent of like, if I only stayed, he would have gotten better. Um, But even then, even though I had all of these questions and doubts and feeling lonely, I still knew that love was humming underneath it. I knew that he tried to get as far away from me so that he wouldn't hurt me anymore. He wanted to protect me. That was his way of protecting me from all of the rock bottoms. He hit so many rock bottoms after that, right? I thought that he had hit a couple of rock bottoms in my presence. But he, as of when we got back to knowing each other again and building that relationship, I learned that he hit many rock bottoms, being homeless, being in, the, in prison, um, you know, so arrested a couple of times, uh, thrown in uh, hospitals uh, for lithium poisoning, um, and, and then just several suicide attempts. So he had hit so many rock bottoms and he knew Right? He was wise enough to know that he, he couldn't have me a part of that life anymore. So I knew that even though he wasn't in my life, he still loved me. And in his absence now, after he passed away, I can feel his love even more. Even more than, oh gosh, those many years ago when he used to tell me that he loved me and that I could do anything that I wanted. Because I feel that even though he's not physically here, that he is present here guiding me, helping me along so that I get to do all of those things that I want to do with my life. And, you know, in his absence, I did get to do whatever I wanted to do. I was able to create this world that is safe um, for myself and for others. And because I had such that intense experience of being unsafe and unpredictable, I knew how to create a safe, predictable world for myself and for others. And so that is one of the the gifts, you know, I often have people say that I know how to hold space for people, that they feel safe in my my presence and in terms of sharing and, and, um, and just being themselves. And I truly believe it's because in his absence, right, I continued that journey of creating safe spaces. And when things weren't okay, I was still okay. So when he disappeared and I felt abandoned and lost and confused, I was still okay. When he died and the divorce came out of nowhere from my ex-husband, things were really bad, but I was still okay. I still had my health to a certain extent at that time. You know, it was a little wobbly, but I was still, you know, healthy. To uh, I still had always a roof over my head. I've always been able to support myself 
right? I maybe not make a lot of money, but I've been always been able to support myself and sometimes even thrive and thrive in other ways too, right? Not just financially, but in so many other ways I've been able to thrive. So even in those hardships, even in those really hard moments, I was still okay. And he taught me in his absence to be strong and resilient because I didn't have that father figure. I didn't have um, at times a husband or, or a significant other, right? That masculine energy um, holding my hand. Yeah, I had to really learn for myself that I could do this. I, I have that masculine protector provider energy within me. And I can keep moving forward because I have both that beautiful balance of feminine and masculine here within me. So he taught me a lot in both his presence and his absence. But I think the biggest lesson that I learned was this last one was that even in his absence, I was always present. I was always present for myself. I was always the one here. All those moments I felt alone, even um, you know, with his absence, not feeling that I could share with my mom or my grandma or my aunts or friends. Um, there was something instilled in me that I, I was present and I was going to be okay. And so what does this have to do with you? <laughs> well, I invite you to sit with your own father journey. Yeah. Maybe start with the space of it being personal. Yeah. And then you can pull back and look at the pattern. But all those hardships that maybe you experienced with your relationship, or maybe they weren't hardships, but just simply duality, right? There was some sort of dualistic experience in that relationship. And in sitting with yourself, I invite you to sit in that space of compassion, right? To sit in suffering with the other or self. Um, sitting in that space of compassion and really understanding that all of that, all of those um, experiences that feel so dualistic, right? On one side of the spectrum and then the other. And like, why? Why does it have to be both? It has to be both. Right? It made you who you are. You are exactly as you ought, need to be right now. And so how can you sit in that space and be grateful? Be grateful for those experiences that brought you to this moment. And yeah, maybe this moment kind of sucks, right? We don't know what's next. But maybe as you look back at those moments of hardships or confusion and loss and realize you've been here before in some way. Right? Maybe it doesn't look like what it is right now, but you have experienced these same sort of feelings. Maybe this is amplifying it to an extreme, but you were okay. Yeah, even in those hard times, you were still okay. And you are okay right now. And so the mantra that I am inviting the group, the six-week series group to work with, and I invite it for you here today too, is simply in those moments that you feel abandoned, alone, confused, 
pulled in two directions, not knowing which voice to listen to, which way to go. I invite you to sit in the middle, the space in between, and say, I am with you in presence and in absence. I am with you in presence and in absence. I am with you in presence and in absence. And trust that whatever this voice is, maybe it is of the Father, or maybe it's just the message from you to you, but you are not alone because I am with you in presence and an absence.